0: I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight to Psalms 101 and verse two. At the end of that verse it says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will walk in my house with a perfect heart. This is the eighth time I've said this. That's never been easy. That's never been proven to be easy. A lot of people have been aware of it. They just have not been able to do it. But it's there, and it's for us. Because we have a Bible and because we are Christians, this is part of it. How you are at home is an indication of how you really are as a Christian with the Lord. How you are at home. Like somebody said once, if you can't hack it in Joppa, don't take it to Jerusalem. If you can't live it at home, don't try to make people think you can... Do it somewhere else. The gospel has to work for us at home. Now, many of us did not come out of a home like that, but by the grace of God, you have been brought to the Lord. And even though things didn't go right in your childhood past God, who is gracious, enabled you to be saved and come to the Lord and give you a mind and a heart to learn. So because there's a lot in the Bible about the home, the people who make up a home, the duties and the function of a home, and how this all comes to a place where you really can praise God and find favor with the Lord is for us to study that. Now, we're studying about the women. It's our third session on the women. I'm not laughing because I think that's good, but it's in there. There's a lot more, to me, said about women at home, their relationship with others in the home, especially their husband, than it is about a man relating to his wife. In fact, she plays a key role. Last week, we talked about submission and how that the word submission is a military word. It has to do with rank. It has nothing to do with who's inferior or who is superior. It just has to do with rank. And the Bible says that a woman is to submit unto her husband as unto the Lord. She demonstrates her loyalty to God in one sense in how she relates to her husband. If she is picky and crabby and complaining and all the things that go with that to her husband, that is the way she is before the Lord, and that's not a good thing, and yet, so many minds of people in this hour have been filled with logic and reason. Well, it ain't fair, and I won't mind, and why should I have to? Because we hear people talk about it all the time. And the more you hang around people who talk like that, the more you think like that. Because you're influenced by people. I was talking about the other day, the poison of self. In one of the little moments in that series, I said that people are poisoned with words. You will be directed to listen to something in your life or listen to somebody. And what they say is going to capture your thoughts and your attention, especially if it's self-gain. And something you get something from. And you'll listen to that and you'll begin to think like that, because as a man thinketh, so is he. But so many times it rules God out of your life and causes death. And that's why God has to save us, because we become so fleshly and so worldly that to stay on that course is to die an eternal death. And God in his goodness comes along and saves us, but once he does, once he does, and we assemble ourselves like we are tonight, it's a measure of just how loyal do you wanna be to the Lord? How much of what he has to say now that you can understand it, how much of it do you want? How much of a change do you really want in your life, and how much of an application of his word are you willing to make? Because it's going to change your lifestyle. It's going to put a dent in your armor, a chink in your armor, because you're going to have to adjust your ways to conform to his way. For to walk in newness of life means you don't walk the way you used to. There has to be a change. If no change happens, and I've said it before, a person's never been born again. You cannot ever, ever say you are born again and live like you always have. If you're born again, you're a new creature. The Spirit of God lives in you, and your life is changed, and is being changed. There's a refreshing that comes from on high. You're being restored back to the kind of person that God originally made Adam to be, the kind of person that was exactly what God wants. And we have to have a heart to embrace that. And I'm telling you, in this hour, I just had a phone conversation today and told her brother this. More and more in my life, never like it is today that people are setting aside in the church, setting aside the word and not being affected by it. They can hear it year after year after year, and nothing is changing in their life. I think, you know, I need to preach on being born again. I need to preach on what the Bible says evidences the change in a man's life. But when you get saved and you're confronted with the word, you've got to deal with it. Two things that goes with submission, humility and love. To humble yourself under the mighty hand of God means that you humble yourself to the ways of God. You might be a strong-willed woman, you might have been an only child, and you might have been abused when you were a child, you might have been hurt a lot, you might have seen the worst in a man in your daddy and you might have had some terrible things happen to you and you grew up with kind of a burr in your saddle about men and what they want to try to tell you to do and here's a preacher, he reminds you of your daddy and he's up there barking out orders and you can begin to resist and not even know it. You're not learning anything, you're not changing, nothing's going on in your life. And only the Spirit of God can alert us to things like this and show us that, you know, you gotta pay attention Surrender your will to God and let him have your ways. And then to love your husband is what the whole thing that's right, that motivates a person. It's only right if it's by love. A lot of people have used their faith, and it's like he said in the Bible. You have faith to move mountains and have all knowledge. But if you have not love, you don't have anything. Can you imagine? It comes down to that. You've got this great faith testimony. You did this, and you claimed that, and you got this, and you've been well for 30 years, and blah, 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 blah. And yet, when it comes right down to the end of it, you get nothing. Because the motivation of your life wasn't love for God. It's love for self. You like what people think about you and how they admire you and notice you and put you on a little pedestal and how they talk about you and kind words and all of that. And a lot of people seek that kind of praise. And the Bible says such praise, the pride of man, comes from the world and from the devil. So we have to be careful how we approach everything. But as a woman, as a woman, biblical submission is so important. Submission on the Bible's terms is so important that if a wife, if a woman does not do that, her home is in disorder. I don't care what kind of man we're talking about. If you married him, he's your husband. I'm sure he didn't ride along one dark night and see you stand on a corner and put you in a headlock, drug you off somewhere and made you say, marry me. You married him. You had time to think about it, look at him and size him up, and then you married him. Now, if you're a Christian, you submit to him. You'll submit to him. You'll recognize your rank as far as the way things go. That's not an inferior place because if a woman will not submit to her husband, her house is out of order. She has brought disorder into her home. Again, she might have an attitude. She's seen the abuse of women by men, as I said earlier, and she's been abused, and all these things have happened, and she's not going to let that happen to her. I don't care who she's married to. She's got a college degree, and he does. She's smarter than he is anyway. He shouldn't be bouncing the checkbook. I should be because I'm smarter. She sees herself as a spiritual one, and she can't submit to him as long as she sees herself like that. It's kind of what kind of poison comes in a marriage and just ruins a relationship and the kind of home that you don't have. God wants to bless your homes. God wants our homes to be like heaven on earth. We want our house to have the favor of God in it all the time. We don't want to keep arguing every morning, arguing every night, screaming and yelling and hollering and fussing and slamming doors. That's not a Christian home. That's a parent problem. That's a problem with parents. Somebody forgot to teach her children. I will teach on children here the week after next. But if when you have a breakdown in the home, it usually begins because a woman is deceived. She sees herself the way she wants to see herself, not necessarily the way the Bible does. And she tries to make a Bible say it her way because after all, you know, that was written a long time ago, and this is, you know, 2010. So she begins to moderate, modify her understanding of Scripture to justify her actions. And when she does that, then she brings disobedience into the home because she's not doing it the way God wants her to do it. When you bring disobedience in the home, you have division. You have two people that came together because they loved each other. Now these two people merely stay in the same house together, but it's not really love. It's not like it used to be. And the end of that is death because it has no life. There's no spiritual life in a home like that. You exist. You exist. I grew up in that kind of a home. I know what I'm talking about. Two people live together in high degree of tolerance for each other, but not really love each other. Never saw a lot of emotional contact between my parents. I sure hope my children have been able to grow up and see us have such contact. I like to be able to say it, and I can. Our children never saw us argue. And if they say they have, I forgot that one. We've never had an argument Bonnie never would argue, so it wasn't any fun. They've never seen us have a fuss or an argument. You know, being a preacher, it really helps with your image and their understanding of Christianity to do that. But when you have a breakdown in the home like what we're talking about, you have women beginning to get out of their roles. They begin doing the things that men do. You know, they're police women now. They're fighter pilots and they're... Army, infantry. I never heard, growing up, I never heard of women doing that. Nobody said they couldn't do it. In some cases, better than men. I can't imagine, if I was in a hard place and a woman cop came to help me, I'd be thinking, man, I need more than this. Well, because a woman is a weaker vessel. Now, if you don't understand that, then you don't want to. But I keep thinking, boy, it wouldn't take much to knock you out. But they're doing things today they never did before. They're running corporations, they're politicians now, they're senators trying to be presidents. All the walls of distinction between men and women have basically just been broken down and there's no difference anymore. And the homes are showing the effects of it in America. Our children are not growing up to serve the Lord or even go to church. Parents go to church as a formal, socially proper thing to do. We should go to church if you've been decently raised, and so they go to church. But they don't go there because they love God and because they want to be like he wants them to be. They go there because that's what you ought to do. And the kids can see through that, by the time they're 15 years old, there's nothing to this. Whatever they heard this morning doesn't work at home. I used to go to the Catholic church with my dad all the time. And he sat there and go through all the things he went through in the Latin mass and mumble jumble and I didn't understand any of it. I just try to watch him whenever he'd beat on his chest, I'd try to do that too. Whenever he would do this, I'd try to do that. And as soon as we got out of church and went outside, he you know, it was blankety blank this and blanket all over again. But he'd been to church. There's something really wrong in a religious man's mind because religion today hasn't turned him to God. It's just made him acceptable to himself, that he is a good and a religious man, not as bad as some people are. And therefore, he accepts himself, and he lives that way. It's just like that verse that says there is a way that seemeth right. you all know the verse? There is a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When You have these breakdowns, folks. Even women pastors. Who ever heard of a woman pastor? Well, you have them today. When you have these kind of breakdowns in America, the system is going to wind up raising your children. One person wrote a book once, says, it takes a village to raise a child. I always thought parents did a better job. <laughs> I think a village, I think of huts in Africa. But social life is about that wild today anyway. And the day is coming, I think, as it's prophesied in the Bible, in the latter times, you know, not only some shall depart from the faith, but it goes on to say they shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and one of those doctrines are forbidding to marry. It's just a time in your generation, you young folks, during your lifespan in America, there's going to come a time when marriage is deemed old-fashioned and no longer acceptable. Why get married? And if you don't work out, why have to go through divorce and settlements and all that? Look, let's just live together and be good buddies. If we don't like each other. We'll just separate. Everybody does it, they say. And if you've got your mind in this world enough, you'll, oh, yeah, I mean, what's wrong with that? They go to church and do that. They live together and go to church. So what's wrong with that? But that's the mindset in the last days. That's what's wrong with people. And when it creeps in the church, if we don't say something about it from here, you'll begin to think it's all right, but it never is all right. Now, what about a virtuous woman tonight? A virtuous woman, in our third part on the women, the word virtuous is used some 200 and I think 74 times, and 51 of those times, the most is translated army. Now, a virtuous woman is an army. It's translated 37 times as valor, because that's what you think of when you have an army of dedicated soldiers who are willing to engage the enemy and fight to the finish because of valor. The dictionary says it's a masculine noun meaning strength, wealth, or an army. The basic idea of the word is strength and influence. In other words, she's the kind of woman who is strong. She's not flimsy. She's not weak, she doesn't cave into pressure, she faces pressure. God knows women face a different kind of pressure than men do. We wouldn't want to be a woman. Her routines are not the things that I would ever want to do. A virtuous woman recognizes that and is willing to face up to whatever she has to do. A Christian woman would be, if she's a virtuous woman and a Christian, she knows that her strength is in the Lord She relies on the Lord, she calls upon the Lord, and she prays about things, and God blesses her and causes her virtuousness to be seen. It's just something that you begin to see it. Barnes, in his notes, said the word implies the virtue of earnestness or strength of character. A virtuous woman, in biblical terms, is the kind of woman every man wants to marry. It's the kind of woman every young lady should aspire to be. Now how much of that you want, that's up to you. But look in chapter 12 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12. Let's look at two or three passages here about this kind of a woman and other things the Bible says about her. There are other words besides that. But It says in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse four concerning a virtuous woman, it says she is a crown to her husband. Now what is a crown? Is that just the top of your head? You know, the crown of your head? If so, it would mean that a virtuous woman is a crown of your head. No, a crown is a symbol of kingliness. A crown is a symbol of rulership. He that wears a crown rules. He that wears a crown is in authority. He that wears a crown is recognized by others as being a ruler. And it specifically says here that a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. She is a part of what he's doing, and a whole lot of his ability to rule and govern or be a leader is because of what she's doing how she helps make him successful in other words. You all believe that a virtuous woman could help make a man successful? That being a wise, discerning woman, a thoughtful woman, not hasty or impetuous in her thoughts and actions, looks at a man and realizes he needs to do this better. And without actually preaching to him, you need to do She just begins to do things in her life and ask God for wisdom and how she may influence him in a lot of ways so that he becomes the kind of man that she knows he wants to be and God wants him to be. A woman can do that. She's just as surely as she can break him down and tell him about all of his faults and where you been and oh, I can't believe I had to stay here. Instead of complaining all the time, she cast all of her care uh, somewhere on the Lord, yeah. And she simply sees her role in life to submit to her husband, to be a part of his life, fit in with his plan so that she can contribute to his well-being. That's why she was made. A woman was made for a man. Therefore, a man needs a woman. And when a good woman, the right kind of woman, is added to his life, his life becomes richer his life becomes more what it ought to be. In this verse four, what's the second part of it say? But a woman that maketh ashamed, you know, whether it's griping, interfering, gossiping about her husband, or just putting him down in public, putting him down at home, telling him what he's not and what he can't do, you're not so much and you ain't much, if they ever talk like that. A woman that makes ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Rotten has to do with decay. Did you ever see anything rotten, dying, stinking? What if you said that a woman that makes her husband ashamed is a stinking woman? She's shameful. She's so involved with herself that she wants him to know what she thinks about him. As though there's a market for her opinions. She wants him to know why she's not so big on him. She wants him to know these things. And she becomes like rottenness in his bones because he doesn't really want to be around her. He's not glad to come home to that. He doesn't look forward to coming home and say, okay, honey, turn it loose. What he would love to come home to is a smiling wife with a peaceful attitude and encouraging words. She said, well, I'd like to have that too. Well, you do your part first. Remember, it begins with a woman. Didn't First Peter 3 say this? If any woman have a husband that does not obey the word, he may without a word from his wife be one as he beholds her chaste conversation coupled with fear. And he begins to see in your life your method of living and your properness and how hard you're really trying to do the right. And he begins to notice this about you. He gets affected by that and he gets one to the Lord like that. But it begins with her. As I said the other day, I think it's easier for women to change than for men. But she's the key. If she won't submit and if she won't change, her house is out of order. It's not the way it should be, and God ain't going to bless it. Look in Proverbs 30, chapter 30, and look at verse 23. This is not a good word, but it is in the Bible. So we'll look at it. It begins with verse 21. For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. These are things that don't help anything anywhere. These are three conditions that are not good ever. The first one is a servant when he reigns because he's never known how to treat other people. He's only been treated. He follows orders. He doesn't know how to give them. And when he gives orders, he becomes like so many did when Africa was turned back over to all the tribes and all the natives in the land there, and and they begin to rule as less than rulers their whole lives. They're still having trouble. Not that they cannot rule. It just means that a servant has to learn how to rule if he ever rules. But a servant, when he rules, and a fool, when he is filled with meat, Because the way he'll act, and look at verse 23, the third thing, an odious woman when she is married. An odious woman when she is married. What is an odious woman? Well, it's a root word, means to hate. In essence, it means to be hateful. She has a hateful attitude. Now, he might not have seen that when they were courting, But isn't it true today a lot of people kind of get married because they run around, do drugs together and live together and, and nothing is clean and pure and then they get married and everything has to settle down and then who these people really are begins to come to the surface. He doesn't like her and she doesn't like him, so they divorce. But it happens all the time. But an odious woman is a hateful woman, one in whom there is nothing to love, doesn't know how to love, probably never has been loved. She might have grown up in a home where her daddy never loved her the way a daddy should love his daughter. Every little girl needs her daddy to love her because if daddy doesn't, there's another little boy downtown somewhere that will. She has to know what a father's affection is all about, what a father's care and concern is all about, what a father's instruction to his daughter is all about he doesn't take the time to teach her that she'll have her own views of what's right and wrong and when she goes out she'll do it the way other kids do it or the way she thinks she wants to do it because nobody ever taught her differently than this marriage is a place where when you come together you come into a home marriage is to be the place where a woman really begins to shine the man doesn't live in that house all day long she does and he comes home and what he sees is what he's married this is the kind of woman that I'm married to what I see when I come home what she's like what I get this is what I'm married to and this is the way it is and it says that an odious woman when she is married well what does he say an odious woman when she is married and a handmaid that is to be an heir to her mistress she's like the servant she wouldn't know how to to be kind and gentle either but an odious woman are any of you odious in here good Turn to Proverbs 19. Go back a couple of chapters to chapter 19. Here's another word before we get to our word virtuous. Proverbs 19 and verse 14. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, I mentioned a while ago, where could you find this thoughtful, discerning, gentle, kind, caring, committed to her husband's well-being, loving woman. I mean, where would you find a girl like that? They're not born like that. They're made like that. Well, where would you find one? Well, I'd start at church. You won't find one down at the Rock and Roll Center. I don't think you would. So where do you find a prudent wife? Well, what does the Bible say? A prudent wife comes from whom? The Lord. Listen, different kinds of people get married every day. But not every man marries a prudent woman. Not every man will say, I've married a prudent wife. She really makes me happy. She's the most thoughtful, caring person I know. If you'll just glance back at chapter 31, she is the kind of woman that every man should want. In verse 10, it says, a virtuous woman who can find. Where do you find a virtuous, prudent woman? Where in the world would you go? Where would you find a woman who has good judgment, who is cautious and circumspect, thinks before she speaks, isn't quoted in public as gossiping, Somebody who really considers what kind of effect her life is going to have on the testimony of her husband in the home and lives carefully like that. Meek and quiet. How about that? Meek and quiet. Those are things the Bible says are of great price in the sight of God. In verse 10, it says that her price is far above rubies. And then you notice in verse 11, it says the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. He shall have no fear of evil. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were a young man today, that's the kind of woman I would look for. Say, I know a couple like that, but they're not knockouts. What do you mean they're not knockouts? Well, you know, they're not real. Oh, they're good. Then they're all right. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Verse 30, verse 30. Somebody help me here with verse 30. Favor is deceitful. Maybe she's married to a rich man, or maybe her daddy's rich, and you kind of hanging around for that. Well, anyway, favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Uh-oh. And a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It's not always these vivacious, shapely, pretty girls that qualifies virtuous. They qualifies attention seekers and attention getters. If you marry her, instead of her submitting to you, you'll have to submit to her need to be noticed all the time and to be praised all the time. It's just the opposite role. Because if you don't, and she, you don't love me, you don't love me, you don't love me. So he's got that to deal with. But a prudent wife comes from the Lord. A virtuous woman comes from the Lord. And in Proverbs 18 and verse 22, clearly, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtains what? Now, if it says whoso finds a wife finds a good thing, does that mean anybody that marries a woman has found a good woman? Well, they wouldn't divorce them so much if they did. They wouldn't complain about their wives' behavior at home if they were virtuous. Not every woman is kind and gentle. Not every man is either. You know that. But he specifically speaks here about the woman. Never talks about a virtuous man. Never talks about a man submitting to his wife. It simply talks about the man being the head of his house and his wife submitting herself to that. And if she won't do that, she has made the house disorderly. So where do you get a virtuous wife? You get it from the Lord. Whoso finds one of these women has found a good thing and has obtained favor from the Lord. Now, don't hold your hand up and don't, if she elbows you, that's okay. Just let it go. But how many of you that are married have married a virtuous woman? I wonder how many things could have been fixed a long time ago if you had sat down and talked about it before it got ahead of you. You could talk about your feelings about it. That's part of it, I suppose. Proverbs 31, verse 10 again. There are several things here that it says about a woman virtuous woman again the kind of woman every man wants and the kind of woman every girl in the church should aspire to be like this is what God wants four or five things I want to point out first of all her relationship to her husband as we've already seen there in verse 11 and 12 it says who can find a virtuous woman her price is far above rubies Then 11 and 12 the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he will have no need of spoil. She's not going to run around on him. She's not going to do something stupid and ignorant. She's not going to bring shame on the household. She does consult him before she does a lot of things. She can do other things besides just stay at house all the time because this book talks about it. This chapter does. But she's very cautious and very careful about all of this. And The Bible says her husband, his heart, where his true core values are, He safely trusts in her because he knows that she'll do him good and not evil all the days of her life. In verse 12, how many men can say that? My wife has done me good and not evil. How many women can say I married a man that did me wrong? We've all been done wrong. There's not a soul in this room that hadn't been done wrong somewhere, some way. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things wrong. One of the reasons God saved us is so he can change us. If we don't change, then we remain as we were, steeped in all of our attitudes and problems that keep God out of our life. Verse 23 says, he is known in the gates. That's that crown we were talking about a while ago. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Why would they accept him? Is it because he has this anointing? Maybe. Is it because he has this ability? Maybe. But the Bible says her husband is known in the gates. She has something to do with it. She has played a part in his success. When sometimes a businessman comes home and he's had a hard day at work, and his wife sometimes just listens. If he doesn't want to talk, then we don't have to talk. She's simply one of these kind of people said, I wanna be here for you. Primary in my marriage before anything else, before my kids, for my home, you are my main project. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I wanna help you do it in a way that you're blessed and God can use you. And her role in that is that, says her husband is known in the gate and his reputation includes her effect upon him. Now look at verse 28 and 29 concerning him. It says in verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Now every woman wants praise from the man she loves. And he said in verse 29, this is probably a quote. He says to her, you know, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. What do you think about that? What if a man looked at his wife and he said, you know, to me, there's a lot of good women out there in the world. We got a lot of wonderful women in our church, but you're above all of them. Now, she might not be if there was some carnal thing you could compare her with and check off rights and wrongs, but to him, the influence she has on his life, the joy and the peace he has of being around her, never fearing her to make life miserable for him, he said, you know, many daughters have done well. Not a few, but many. But man, you are my number one. I am your number one fan club. Secondly is her household. Look in verse 15. This is how she responds to her family's needs in her home. In verse 15, she rises also while it is yet night. Ooh, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She cares about her family eating. She cares about them having food. And maybe in verse 14, she cares about what kind of food they eat. There's certain places you get better food than just anywhere. I'd rather go to a farmer's market and buy fresh vegetables than I would go to a grocery store Stuff that came from somewhere else, you shouldn't eat it. But she considers that. She says, you know, I want my family to eat well. I do want to be a good cook. I want my family to enjoy eating together. I don't want us to dread a meal together. You got your peanut butter here. I did that once. Once. She works at this. She wants to be a good cook. Unless there's something wrong with them. men like to eat. Kids don't care about quality, kids care about volume. You could put cardboard in the food and they wouldn't care as long as you can get enough in there. But a good tasty meal, she knows, is appreciated by her husband, so she looks for that kind of food. That's her job, she's a shopping woman. She's careful, she's cautious, and she reads labels. <laughs> Mine does anyway. <laughs> she does things that way. In verse 21, She cares about whether or not when the winter comes, if they're warm. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. You may have a margin there that says double garments. Now, scarlet is a color. I don't think it's talking here about the latest style, the right labels. It's not like she said, well, I'm not sending my kid out with some old Kmart label in his shirt. Oh, no, that's not what it says at all. It just means that when the snow comes, she'll find them good warm clothes to her because she wants them to be warm, because she cares. She just simply cares about who she is and who she's mothered and how they do in life. She wants to take care of them, and so she does that. In verse 27, she pays attention to her family and their needs. She looketh well to the ways of her household, her husband and her children how they act, how they treat each other, how they talk, habits, problems. The Bible said she looks well too." the ways of her household. That could be a lot of things. And she eateth not the bread of idleness. Now, what is idleness? Well, the word idle in the New Testament has to do with being unemployed, doing Nothing. Put your finger wherever you are in Proverbs 31 and turn quickly over to uh, Titus chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Titus 2 verse 4 and 5. Now concerning women in the New Testament sphere, the older women do this. They can't, if the young women don't want it, I suggested one time a, a young lady seek out the counsel of The tightest two women, they have their meeting back. The whole thing was designed to impart their wisdom through the years and the shortcuts they've learned and the better way to do things to these young wives, to help them avoid mistakes. This person said, that's just a bunch of old women talking. I thought, you know, that is an attitude of corruption. That's a polluted attitude. I don't know where you got that but you put yourself on a pretty high pedestal when you say, well, my needs can't be met by any of these people here because I suspect they probably could, but if you won't listen and you won't avail yourself to advice and counsel from godly women, you're just going to stay as you are, I, I suppose, and never get any better. Have you found Titus 2 yet? It says that they may teach the young women to be sober, that is, wise, to love their husbands... To love their children, to be discreet, chaste. What's the next three words? Keepers at home. This is what you teach the younger girls getting married today. There are things that you should do. None of it has to do with making a living, making a way out there in the world or becoming famous. It all has to do with loving your husband, loving your children, an attitude, behavior and conduct, and being a keeper at home. That's what he says here. To be discreet, chase keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The word of God is blasphemed when people hear us preach one thing and see people do something else. Yeah, yeah, it's them holy rollers. They think they're better than everybody. I mean, he wouldn't even pay his bill in that manner. You know, he runs around and this one here was drinking the other night. You blaspheme the word because the word should make us pure and clean. Boy, you live like that, you're in trouble. Go back to Proverbs about her household. She looks well to the ways of her household again in verse 27. You don't have to turn to it, but in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Every wise woman buildeth her house. Her house is her castle. The garage is his. (laughs) So that's what I've always heard. The garage is yours. The yard is yours. God bless you. The house is mine. Now take those shoes off while you come in here. Knock that, okay. Take that outside. Well, you should because she cares about what it looks like. She didn't care. Yeah, bring it on in here. Get your sling mud all on. Care about this house. Yeah, just let it go. Yeah, throw them, wet. yeah throw them on the couch. It don't matter. It'll just stay. a will spray it with something. No, a wise woman can have a voice in such affairs. I've never heard her go like this. I've never done that either, as far as I know. And then thirdly, about a virtuous woman, it, the Bible has something in this chapter to say about her energy, what she does that she can do. She not only looks well to the ways of her house, but in verse 13, it says, "'She seeketh wool and flax, "'and worketh willingly with her hands.'" She makes things for her family, or she could make things to sell. She could do that. Look at verse 16 through 18. "'She considereth the field, "'and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands.'" She made her money, and she bought it. Does it say that, with the fruit of her hands? "'She buyeth it with the fruit of her hands.'" There's a lot of women that work out of their house, and it doesn't affect their home, doesn't affect their routines at home, doesn't affect the condition of the house. I could think of some things that people do, and perfectly good. Verse 17, she girdeth her loins with strength, and she strengthens her arms. That doesn't mean she has a weight room. This is spiritual language that she's not a weakling and flimsy and doesn't just give up easy. She's strong. She keeps herself busy. She keeps herself active. And then in verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchants. You know, sashes and things. So there's nothing wrong with a woman doing this. As long as her husband is in league with it and he doesn't mind, it doesn't interfere with the flow of the home, the function of the home. It doesn't prevent the home from being the way it should be. And she has time to do all of that, making quilts or making pies for some store. I mean, if she can do that, fine. If she can make income doing that, and it's not wrong for her to keep her own money. Say amen. Well, that was really weak. But it says, she, with the fruit of her hands, a while it goes, you know, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. Her hands earn something. But she is not idle. She's busy. She thinks of things to do. A wise woman, I think, has a routine if she has a lot of children, a lot of things to deal with. You know, your house, if you wait a once a month to fix it all, it can get pretty overloaded. But if every day you have a routine, today I'm going to wash this and tomorrow this, and every day you have things to do, you get up and you do it. You just get up and you do it. You put first things first, and you start working on your routines. And you do that enough. You do any routine or system of routine like for 30 days, and it'll become a part of the way you do things. And then you'll just naturally begin to do things you ought to do. And it'll show up in your home. It shows up in your life. Your husband will talk about you. He'll praise you for such a thing. You know, she's a busy woman. Man, she does really, really good. What about idle hands? Let me read something about being idle in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 5:13, it says, And withal, they learn to be idle. Now, these are women that they're having problems with in the church. And wherewithal, he said, they learn to be idle. Now, you learn to be idle. You know how you learn to be idle? Listen to me. You keep putting things off. You keep saying, oh, we can do that tomorrow. Procrastination. You just let things build up because you don't see your need to deal with it. Well, that they may teach the young women, and it says, and wherewithal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, And not only idle, but tattlers. This word tattler, we want to be careful here, but then on the other hand, we don't want to be careful. Tattler can be somebody who just incessantly talks. They got a talking spirit. There's no reason for you to think you're going to talk back because there's no room in the conversation for you to get in. Unless you're just rude and you want to slap somebody in the mouth and hold them to shut up and then you start talking. But a tattler can be like it. But a tattler also is somebody who is uttering things that they should not be uttering. It could include gossip, tailbearing, backbiting. But again, when you begin to procrastinate and put things off and don't see the importance of your home, the place the husband's bought all this stuff for you and provided all of this because he wants you to have some nice things. And if you're not willing to take care of it, It'll show up in your testimony. It'll show up in your life. And he comes in, he begins to lose a little bit of respect. Well, there's no sense in us trying to buy anything nice here. From now on, I'm going down there to the Goodwill. And I'm not mean anything wrong about the Goodwill because I bought things at Goodwill, which are pretty good. But a woman should take care of what she has. And she should not be idle. And she should not be a tattler. And it goes on to say she's a busybody. That means she's got her nose in places her nose was not made to be in, other people's affairs. But I think this is an age of nosiness. But I think there's been nosy people forever. We just want to know what everybody's doing. Well, who told you that? Well, this is the way I heard it. Would you hear? Why would you spend time on the phone talking like that? Why is there such a desire to gather information about other people? I'm asking any of you this. Why is it so necessary, when we sit at the table sometime to eat, that we discuss other people? Why is that such an important part of training my children, to teach them disrespect for other people? Why do we have to keep on the phone all the time and just keep hearing stories? You know what I heard? Well, I heard this. Why? Why? Did it help you be more spiritual to hear it? No. Well, then why did you hear it? Well, so-and-so said it. They called you up. Well, no, I was talking to them on the phone about something else, and we got to talking about it. Why? You got a lust for that kind of stuff? You like to gossip? You like to talk too much? I told a husband once that about somebody else. I said, somebody else talks too much. I hear stories all the time, gossip. I have to deal with gossip all the time. One of them said this, so I go and say, well, what, and it's not even like that at all. And I think, now somebody here's not getting this story right, and I have to deal with it. And I can't. You absolutely can't deal with it because all these stories are different. How do they get that way? People talking, idle, they couldn't keep themselves out of other people's affairs, they just talk too much. We do it too easily. Too easily. Then verse 20 of Proverbs 31, if you go there. Fourthly, the needs of other people. It says, she stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hand to the needy. She's one of those that will contribute to the needs of other people. She's one of those that will go help. She stretches forth her hand. She'll go help people that need help. She'll do what she can about other people's problems because she cares. She's that kind of a woman. She's not just existing, but she is living a life. She's living a life so that God can have his way with her and bless her home and so forth. And her praise, fifthly, she's praised for this kind of a life. Her praise, as I said a while ago, comes from her husband. He looks at the testimony of her life. A lot of men here could give testimonies about the fact that I think I overmarried. My brother told me I overmarried. He said you married up. Whatever I did has been good for me. She has no wings on her back. If anybody say her kids may think she has wings, but I guarantee she doesn't. Backbiters got them. But <laughs> there's something here that if it would register, especially you young girls that there was this determination on the inside. I want to be the kind of woman that my husband is so glad he married me. Just like a man wants to be the kind of man to live a life in which a woman wants to submit to you. You make it easy for me to submit to you. You're a loving, caring man. You're kind to me as I try to be kind to you. Well, that's the way it should be. You become one. We're both kind. We're both concerned. We're both caring. We're both diligent. We're both spiritual. Think of this too. Not only does her husband rise up and praise her, but in the church, when women have a problem, or they need some help and counsel, you know who they'll seek out? They'll seek out the one they have watched and seen through the years. She's always with her husband. Her husband is always happy with her. You never see a strange relationship there. They're always together. They get along. He speaks well of her. She speaks well. Well of him, she smiles easy. She has an easy-going laughter about her. It's not a put-on. She's comfortable with her husband. He really is comfortable with her. And people seek out such women. I'm not looking for some academic giant, some college professor here. I'm looking for somebody who has been walking with God and who knows the way maybe married to a difficult man and has learned to live with him and how she did it, and yet maintain her own dignity and her own person, and she does this without ever giving the appearance, it never, ever comes to church going, mm-hmm. and she's never calling people on the phone and say, this Is it's not good, I don't know, never does that. And that horrible Facebook thing you all get on, all that gossip stuff. He said, we don't gossip. I know you don't. But people get on there and and, and uh, they get to talking. Now, don't take me wrong. If you're on there and you're a godly woman, then you're the exception. But I don't know how many women have enough time to want to spend that much time doing that. And yet, like somebody told me one time when I said this, said, I don't think you understand. Facebook is not a gossip column. Or what if I think it is? Well, then you're wrong. Well, then I might be wrong. But I just think the less I open my mouth and live my life, the more of a testimony I have. It's not what I say, it's what I do. That's the way it works. Concerning raising children in the home, because she's with the children more than anybody, a woman is, who could better influence her son to respect women than a mother? If she talks against the boy's daddy, well, you're daddy now, I tell you, he's just, then she is planting seeds in his mind to disrespect his daddy. She's setting him up for a short life because he's not being taught how to honor his parents. Just as a father can have a huge effect on his son by teaching him to respect women, his sister, his mother, and other girls. That if you want to have favor with God, you treat women right. And you leave them all alone until you get married. And God will give you one good one, and you won't want anymore the rest of your life. You get one. One perfect, virtuous woman. And she'll make you happy all the days of your life. You don't need all this catting around and running around and holding hands or these Facebook pictures wrapped around each other. I just heard one the other day that this girl, a Christian girl, was all wrapped. Her leg was over this guy. You really think that's Christian? I mean, do you really think we just ought to leave that alone? Who taught you that? Where did you learn that? Who said that was okay? But if your parents can't stop you, I promise you, brother Tom can't either. Any more than if your parents are getting quiet in worship, you will too. And I can't make it different. We have a life to live. We have a life to live. It's clearly spelled out in the word. A woman has a role to play with her children, teaching her son how to respect women and how to be a man. And she'll honor him in little things he does because she said, that's the way a man does. And she can influence him. She tells her little girl, you want to learn how to do this and help me cook and help me make some biscuits or whatever you do. Help me make up the beds learn to do these things because a man really appreciates this when he marries you. She has such a role to play. I pray that from this point on, every young man in this church that gets married, marries himself a gift from the Lord. And I pray that every girl or woman, when you get married, I pray that whoever marries you got himself a real winner. And if you're neither of those, I pray you won't get married. Amen, bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes to teach us your word. Deliver us from having a hardness around us that keeps that word from getting in our hearts. But rather, Lord, hide this word in our hearts that we might not sin against thee and teach us, O Lord, to do right, as men, as women, as husbands and wives, to do right, to live according to your word, and to count it a privilege to do that. You're teaching us these things, Lord, because it's your way for us in these last days. Our homes must be brought under divine order. Because, Lord, you are a judge. You are a righteous judge. And if we will not do it, I know you will have to dispense righteous judgment. So I ask you to deal with us. Help us to avoid all these unnecessary things. And to live your life that you give us so that we begin to understand how good it is. Now, bless these young people here tonight, their parents. As the psalmist said, teach us thy ways, O Lord, that we may walk in thy truth. And that we ask in Jesus' name, amen.